Welcome to Busy Living So Bar. Busy Living So Bar. Busy Living So Bar. Hi, April. How are you today? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for offering to come on. It's so great to meet you. Thank you. So will you tell us what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now? I sure will. You know, my experience, strength, and hope is really high right now. I think, you know, I like to share a little bit about the past and I know everyone has a different take on that. For me, I think it's important that we remember where we came from. So I'll definitely be sharing a little bit about my journey and the rocky road that led me to where I am today. But I have to say that living sober truly is one of the most freeing experiences I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, I'll start from the beginning. Things for me as a child were really hard. I went through a lot of trauma, a lot of child abuse, um, really dark situations from a really early age. And I think that set up really the perfect stage for, you know, alcoholism. And alcoholism strikes really anyone. It doesn't mean that you had a traumatic past that that's not, you know, a prerequisite per se. But at the end of the day, for me, I experienced childhood abuse from the age three to five. Mm -hmm. um, pretty uh, extreme abuse. And after the abuser left the picture at around five, I was still in a really, um, a really kind of different family dynamic. I was brought up by uh, my mother and my grandmother, but they had their own kind of uh, twisted way of doing things. And it was a really dark childhood. There was a lot of depression in my family. Um, my mom spent a lot of her time, you know, suffering from different ailments and just in a dark room. And I kind of raised myself, but I never felt okay in my skin. I felt uh, different from everyone. And, you know, a lot of that stemmed from the abuse, but also just kind of this internal feeling of I'm not like anyone else. Mm -hmm. I never fit in. I was extremely um, introverted as a child. Uh, I didn't have any friends. I was very sickly. And I think that followed the dynamic of my family. And from there, you know, when you don't feel like you fit in, I grew up in Hawaii. Okay. Um, so it sounds wonderful. Right, exactly. <laughs> People always say like, oh, wow, Hawaii. But, you know, I'm actually mixed ethnicity. Um, my background is Caucasian, Portuguese, and African-American, and um, I didn't really fit in there. There's, you know, heavy Asian culture, and, and they just, the locals with all rights, you know, they don't have the fondness of the Caucasian race either because of overthrowing Queen Liliuokalani and all of that. So I, I had all these things, you know, not really stacked in my favor growing up. And um, I was picked on in school. I missed a lot of school. I had a lot of illnesses, autoimmune, things like that, which I think honestly mentally came from the darkness of my abuse, just manifesting. Yeah. And so from there, um, we moved to Arizona when I was 14 and I immediately, you know, dropped into the, the bad crowd per se. Um, I had first dabbled in marijuana and um and then i went into more drugs and i missed school i ditched my boyfriend dropped out of school i was drinking um drinking was ironically not my my uh first go-to 
And I was really a pothead, smoking all day, um, all night. And honestly, the way I look at it is it was still me always escaping myself, mm -hmm. um, not comfortable with myself, medicating, self-medicating. I wasn't as big of a drinker, but you know, in the end, I was still in the party crowd. Um, we would do things like pour Mad Dog into Gatorade bottles and go be student council and run the pep assemblies and do things. But as time proceeded, I ended up um, going out and um, I finished high school barely by the hair. Um, and I ended up, you know, running off and getting married to someone I had only dated for a couple months. Yeah, I had my daughter at 18 and, you know, he left me and I was just a single mom uh, on her own. And really from there, I would say I started going to clubs, I started drinking more, but I intermittently had sobriety in between having children, jobs, and relationships, um, but I was always someone who abused it. And I like to say later in life, there, there's some speakers I've heard at different meetings that they said this, they said the chains of alcoholism were too soft to feel until they were too strong to break. Mm -hmm. And that always gives me goosebumps every time because Ultimately, that's what happened to me. You know, you go from being kind of like a partier and more of a social drinker to in my 30s, um, I used alcohol as a coping mechanism and I slipped into, you know, daily drinking, drinking in the morning. Um, I drove drunk with, you know, all kinds of uh, people in the car. I had kids. I did a lot of uh, negative things and, you know, thank God I never faced any direct repercussions. I haven't had my experiences with DUIs, things like that. But um, finally in my early thirties, I just, I was drinking to the point of, you know, creating wreckage everywhere in my life. And I ended up going into rehab. And in that rehab, I learned a lot, you know, and I'd like to say, you know, I went into that place really upset when they would teach about relapse prevention and all of that. Like, why would they do this? Why would they talk about this? I went to Sierra Tucson for 37 days and I, I thought I would be first time, last time, you know, and I wasn't. So mm -hmm. I got out. Um, of rehab. My custody of my children had been taken. My husband had filed for divorce, sold the house. I got out on Christmas Eve and I had to stay alone in a hotel and I made it six months of sobriety and my life was starting to turn around and I was putting the pieces back together. I went to an AA meeting that, you know, when I got out Christmas Eve, I had a great experience at Sierra Tucson. I learned so much. But I put myself in the wrong situations. I, I went back to hanging out with some of the same people and I thought I was stronger than I was. And I went out and I went to places, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona now, Scottsdale waterfront, you know. And I ended up, I had started to go towards a relapse already because I had convinced myself I had never had a problem with ecstasy so I could probably do that once or twice sounds great right like that's like the the craziness of the mind and i had convinced myself that i i dropped half a knee and the next thing the next day i'm driving to the grocery store and i pulled into like a sports bar and i had a couple chardonnays and that was the beginning of the end and i fast forward i bought a business i i drank semi-normally for quite honestly six to nine months and i know that 
a lot of times we see in the program people go out and they just go immediately back and I think that lulled me into a really bad sense of um, safety yeah. but that next year plus rapid decline into alcoholism making a mockery of myself you know we do embarrassing things we create shame, shame. and shame is someplace I'm very comfortable living in because of you know, my past and everything. So I was at the time I owned a, a salon and spa in North Scottsdale and slowly I was unraveling. I was losing employees. You know, I was drinking daily. I would have my coffee cup, you know, that's actually full of white wine or vodka or whatever it might be. And, you know, at the time I, I just, I couldn't, I checked in somewhere. I had to do things for the business. I checked myself out. I was trying to get it together. And finally, um, it was getting so bad for my family. I was real close to losing my business. My old sponsor, I, you know, I'd been contacting her and they 12 stepped me. They picked me up and they took me to the hospital and, you know, I had a really rough, uh, rough time. I withdrew really badly. Um, and I did it from home bruises all over my body from blackouts, just bumping into things and who knows what happened. And, I made it though I have two years sober now and it was it was hard I did 90 and 90 I was listening to like three or four hours a day with my headphones of YouTube AA whatever I could get my hands on and just coping with the shame of all the wreckage I created and then trying to save my business was you know spending daily time on my knees and just putting in the work and really coming to terms with the fact that I am an alcoholic and there's no way around it. I'm never going to drink normally. I'm not going to be like other people and that is okay. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to let, and honestly, I felt like alcohol was my master and I was so tired of following someone else's rules because I was literally chasing this thing at the detriment of everything in my life my children, um, all the things I put to the wayside. So now that I get to be sober, it's like I'm actually free. I think so many people look at it as like, oh my God, what do you mean I'm never gonna have fun again? I'm never gonna party again. I'm never gonna drink again. No, you're gonna be free. You don't have that thing haunting, looming, like all you can think about. You will pick a restaurant based on do they serve alcohol? What time do they start serving alcohol? Like, you know, every event is about alcohol. I remember the first birthday party I planned and I was like, okay, like not getting messed up before it. And I was excited to pick out all the foods and what we were going to do. And it was really fun. So I know I've been going on, but that's really it in a nutshell, in, you know, really talking about the darker sides of it, because there's a lot to tell on the positive side. Well, for one, congratulations on your two years. That's so awesome. It's so amazing. And I always love hearing stories of people who go to rehab and they don't make it, but then they come back. Because yeah. I think that the whole journey, it has to be about the journey, right? I mean, I came in, I got it right away because people like you went out and came back to say to me, oh my God, this is what it was like. And it doesn't get better. No. In fact, it gets way worse, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for that. I want to thank you so much and congratulations. And it's interesting because you started off talking about marijuana use yeah. and it's because of what's going on in the world and them legalizing it today. 
and them saying, oh, it's not a gateway drug or it, is, it isn't, it is or it isn't. And it's interesting because you hear people, I hear most people saying, you know what, that was what I first went with. And then everything after that. So it is a gateway drug. Would you think, do you agree with that? Yeah, you know, here's, I'm so happy you asked me that because, you know, and I love my sponsor. Her name is Roxy and she's amazing. She's um, a very old lady and she's been sober 40 something years and she's got a lot of spunk. And she always says, you know, you're not sober then. Because um, sometimes we have people in the program too that they, they still use marijuana. <laughs> Right. And it's, you know, I, I'm baffled by that. And, you know, of course, no judgment. Everybody's going to do whatever they're going to do. But you're still taking yourself, your consciousness out. You're taking yourself away. Like, to me, to be connected to the source, whatever your higher power is for you, I've got to be completely clear. Mm -hmm. And if I'm using, I'll even give you an example. My husband still occasionally uses that, like, chew tobacco, but it's snus. I don't know. And last night he's putting it in, he's going into the shower. I'm like, you're going to do that in the shower? And he's like, yeah, the steam helps. I'm like, you're still chasing that high. You know, but the point is, like, you're still trying to find a way to tweak your state of being. You're changing your state of being. So you're not, you got to learn, like, at least in my opinion, to be comfortable in your own skin. Don't take yourself out of your skin because it's very easy to take yourself out. And then, like I said, I thought, oh, okay, I'll take half an ecstasy pill. That's ridiculous. Now all my barriers are down um, and I'm going to be more prone to that next day. You know what? I did find that I'll have a glass of Chardonnay. So I absolutely believe it's a gateway. And even if maybe it doesn't lead a person into a harder drug or an alcohol, it's still going to take you out. Like maybe I don't want to deal with my problems today. So I'm going to smoke a bunch of weed and laugh and zone out. Like that's not you handling life. That's you taking yourself out in my opinion. It's true. And it's so much better. And I love what you said about how it isolates you and it's like your own prison and how now that you're sober, you're free. And when you're in it, you don't think about that, right? You don't think, oh my gosh, my God is either marijuana, ecstasy, Chardonnay, whatever it is, yeah. that's what's ruling you instead of having your higher power, whatever that may be. Yeah, for sure. It does. It takes you away. It disconnects you. And then also like, if you want to put kind of a twist on it to like, I feel better about, I say... I'm a very aggressive, like I'll go after things type of person. I don't like, I don't really think, I don't ever think you can't do something. Like there's always a way to do something. And I feel like that personality trait definitely lent over into my alcoholism because it was like, oh, I like this thing. This thing makes me feel better. I'll have it all the time. I'll chase it and I'll make sure I have it. And so I think, you know, that can happen to people with that type of personality where, I mean, it happens to anyone, but for me, I know, like what I do is for me a trigger because I believe, you know, there are some people that say the, the desire has been lifted from them. They never want to drink again. I think my sponsor says, you never know when drink time will come. And so for me, I do have triggers. And while I have a couple years sober, you know, I'm not, I would be remiss to say I'm not still susceptible to any kind of relapse. This is a day by day program. But what I will say is like, for me, the trigger is good weather, right? That makes me think of patio drinking um, in Arizona when the w weather gets beautiful, everybody's out. 
And, you know, I'll just remind myself through a checklist, like, but you don't go and have two glasses of Chardonnay, actually. You go and you'll have the whole bottle and then you'll go home, you'll stop by the store and say, hmm, I don't want this to end and you'll get another one. And then before you know it, you'll be drinking every day, blowing up every relationship you have, acting a fool. I walk myself through that I'm not like the little lady that's gonna go into the country club and have one or two and or half a glass, I'm gonna say, mm, and go off. So, and then what I can remember is the darkness, right? Like I was so physically addicted, it's mind blowing. Like you don't grow up as a little girl and think you're gonna become like this, like dry heaving over a toilet, shaking in the morning to the point where you have to drink to function. like. I think of all that and I feel that like, oh, that contempt and that feeling of not wanting to go back to that place. And then I can pull myself right out of that. And then I make sure I work the program and, you know, I stay active because if I don't, you always can feel yourself, you know, exhibiting negative behaviors that might lead you down a wrong path. So tell me this, when you first went, you left Sierra Tucson, which I do know also is a wonderful facility. Really I've been there and it's, you know, it's amazing. So when you left there and we talked, we touched a little bit on shame. Did you have shame going into that first 12 step meeting? Cause I have so many listeners that are like, I can't do it. It's just, I might run into my neighbor. I might see another mom from school. What if somebody sees me, this is going to be terrible. And what is your um, what is your opinion with that? And what advice would you give to somebody? Yeah, well, so like this is actually what I was just talking to someone about last night because sometimes certain things in current present day can send me back into that shame spiral. I honestly felt like dying when I was first getting sober, like not to the point of actually attempting that, but like I can't even go out in public. And it was because, you know, I have a large business and I, I chose to drink. I wasn't like a person like to, I drank at home, but I didn't just like to drink at home. I like to drink at all the restaurants and bars right by my business and then do crazy things so that basically I can have a great reputation, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> what were you thinking? You know, I mean, Jesus. Lord. So I was like, you know, I'm laughing now, but trust me, I was in and out of the hospital before they finally 12 stepped me the last time because I was, I was trying to get well. I was trying to just break the physical addiction. And, you know, honestly, the hospitals aren't really equipped for that. And I couldn't get away to like do another stint in rehab. But walking into that first day meeting wasn't the hard part. Like I felt awful. And like I said, literally covered in bruises, it was egregious. I think I was anemic at that point. I mean, my body wasn't doing well. I, I was not, my liver was in trouble. And so when I was walking into it, I definitely felt some shame, but quite honestly, A, it always been kind of a safe place for me. And I'm always of the mindset of, well, if they're there, they're there for the same reason as you. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, that's not really worrying me. What worried me more was every day having to go to my business or go anywhere around there and like pick up the pieces of all the destruction I had caused. And, you know, two years later, it's, it's crazy because I just, re what, I, what was really getting painful towards the end was like the look in people's faces when they looked at me like feeling bad and disgusted for me. I had an employee that said when she first met me, um, that she like thought here's this beautiful woman. She's got a family. She's got a business. Like I wanted to be like you. And at the end of my drinking, she's like, I thought, what is she doing? Like they felt pity for me. And I had just 
like that was awful dealing with that. And so for me, what's like really special now is I don't see that look from people anymore. I don't, people don't look at me that way. I get to walk with my head up and my shoulders back and, you know, people that even do know my story recognize that I've changed. One of the gals that works for me, her mom um, struggles with uh, some issues as well. And, you know, she had started for me when she was 17 and now she's kind of my right hand man. And she said, she almost quit towards the end. She had started right like around the end of my drinking. And I yelled at her, of course, about something um, in a rage. And she like almost quit, but stayed on. And then the other day she said to me, you know, I've never known anyone to change their life completely like you did. And when I think about things I can't do, I think, well, if she can change her life like that, you can really do anything. And so it's those things that continue to give you strength, even when you feel like breaking or you can't go on. And it's not ever wanting people to look at you like they used to look at you. So you reached out for help and tell me this when dealing, you spoke also of trauma. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of alcoholics and addicts have a lot of trauma in their background. And I, someone's trauma could be something that someone else thinks is simple and somebody else's could be so violent and traumatic. Mm -hmm. Have you dealt with that through the 12 steps in the 12 steps or have you, have you, I'm going to say the word seeked. I don't even know if that's a proper word. Oh. If you have sought outside <laughs> help and if you're um, seeking how that went for you. Yeah, so it was really interesting. Well, first of all, like it was really bad. I actually talk about it a lot of my own podcasts, but um, because mine is more centered about abuse, PTSD, and then recovery. But in my childhood, they put me um, in like thorough psychology programs. They put me in glass rooms, tried to hopefully see me play things out. But, you know, I, I never, that didn't really work because it was like my mind couldn't open up to talk about it. My real memories came later in life, in college, um, college age, 20s, early 20s is when I started getting all my flashbacks. And that's really what I think helped, you know, fuel the fire of my alcoholism then for me personally was having these memories and drinking them away, you know. Yeah. Um, and so have I thought, so then after the fact, the Sierra Tucson, once I got through with intake and you kind of get through detoxing and everything, they said like we need to put her on a dual track so i was on the dual track for trauma and addiction and my counselor or therapist was amazing and then like i remember they hooked me up to the machines um where they put the wires on your head the neuroscience or whatever and it was like one of the best neuroscientist guys who knows and he's sitting there and he's like oh wow and i'm like and i said what a wow and he's like, well, I just, I don't see this often. And in my head, I'm thinking there's a suicide ward here. Like there is serious stuff and he's never seen this before. It's like hooked to my mind. And I'm like, what have you never seen? And he's like, well, no, he's like, you hit all five markers for PTSD when we're studying your brain waves." He said, and that's, and I said, so when you say you don't see it often, like how often do you see it? He said, less than 5% of my career. He said, this is hitting your brain lights up in all five places he said that you know even when we see like um military vets that have gone through you know a ton of things it, they don't usually hit all five markers and he said that when the trauma happens from the toddler age to the five six range that it literally re my brain is actually fused and wired differently 
to react differently to things other like the other people wouldn't. And so I just have a whole different response system. And it's interesting. I've tried to learn a lot about it. I go to therapy intermittently. Um, you know, we all get busy. We don't have time. But I, I feel like I've processed it a lot. And quite honestly, the work that I do um, with my podcast has helped in the Streetlight USA. They're a human trafficking organization that I've just started getting involved with. And I think that's going to help me work through a lot of internal grief for what children go through. You are a survivor. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> Look at you. Will you talk to, tell us about your podcast now? Cause you've mentioned it a couple times. I want you to tell everybody what it is, what, how it came into fruition and how long it's been there and how they find it. Yeah. You know, it's something I just started a few months ago, maybe a couple months before this whole quarantine and everything that was happening. Um, what it was is like, if I'm being honest with you, the shame that I have for a lot of like things that I've gone through and things that I've done is really hard to process. Um, just even as a mother being not present or being drunk, you know, going through all that. Um, and I, and I kept, you know, working with my sponsor and looking internally on uh, things would happen in life. And I kept feeling like, what am I doing? I just own a beauty lounge day med spa in North Scottsdale. And I, and I just live in this bubble and I don't help. I don't do anything. I kept feeling like the only way for me to get past everything I've went through and I've done and to feel like I'm living more of a life than just some fluff life taking is if I get in there and I make a difference. And human trafficking has always been like a, a really big calling. I've been studying it and watching it for a long time. And I knew that at some point I wanted to migrate into spending more of my time in, in helping with the breakdown of that. So I launched the podcast to really also take the shame and stigma away from people that have suffered sexual abuse, child abuse. I, you know, for me, I was starved. I was entrapped. I was used. Um, a lot of things happened to me. So I wanted people to not be afraid to talk about it because it is so prevalent. So I wanted to take the shame and the stigma away and just let my story be told. And then I fundamentally, we should have our, we have a, um, a hanging website. It's abuserecoverysuccess.com, but we're upgrading it. And then there'll be a direct link. All the proceeds will go to Streetlight USA. Um, and I'm going to be working with them going forward. I'm almost finalized as an ambassador. Streetlight USA has a campus in Arizona and they help girls from 13 to 17 that have been human trafficked. They rehabilitate them. They have a place for them to live. They get therapy. And the goal will be that I'll be able to actively work volunteering at the campus and then raise funds for them. And I've set up my actual business, my beauty lounge, to be pretty much managed now um, with me spending 15 to 20 hours there. And then I want to spend the majority of my time um, working on getting this thing rolling so that it's actually driving a tangible revenue for them. And at that point, then I'll feel like I'm actually um, doing something to correct some of the most wicked things that go on in our world still, because people don't realize how prevalent this is. It's really uh, something that's taking place all over, even in the U.S. I know that. Oh my gosh. You're amazing. Okay. So tell us how you do all of these things. And you've mentioned also that you're a mom 
yeah. eight of a husband. So you've got a lot going on. And how do you do it and stay sober? Because that's like the hardest part of life is balancing everything. How are you doing that? So if the ladies that are, or gentlemen are the, that are out there listening, hear all this stuff that you're doing and it's amazing, but how do you do it all? Tell us how you do it. Well, okay. I'll say like, I don't want to sound like a hard ass, but like you can really do it all if you want to, like anything you actually want to do, you can line it out and get it done. Um, I think a lot of people, like sometimes like I'm in, you know, the beauty lounge, so we have a med spa and sometimes I'll be meeting with people and you know, they're like, oh, I can't work out or I don't have time for this. Maybe they're looking at body sculpting. You just make time for what's important to you at the end of the day. I will say I take advantage of a staff. So I have a staff and I do allocate tasks to different people. <laughs> I'm a good delegator, you know, but it's hard because you're always being pulled in different directions. And, you know, my children are, you know, I have a friend that says your children should be your ministry. Um, so they're definitely at the front of things. But I think if, if you have the ability, whether you're a stay-at-home mom and you've got the family, you don't have a staff, you don't have an assistant, or you could sit there and delegate little things to each person in that family and then make it a team, you know, and make it rewarding for everyone. But for me, I'm able to do it because a lot of really talented people that work with me. And I think it's being able to inspire them. Like, what do you really want to do? You know, like, what do you really want to do? Because like I sat with my 15 year old son and I had him put his hands in mine. And I said, I want you to understand something that most people don't understand. There is no ceiling. That is all self-created. Whatever you really want to do, especially at this age, you can do it. But let's say it is football. Then you should be up at five in the morning, running, training. You should be eating the extra hard boiled. Like whatever you want to do, but it doesn't just come from a dream. You have to actually put things in place every day that get you closer to that dream. And then to some of it, be afraid. Don't be afraid to fail. I mean, failure, I fail left and right, left and right. And it's hard to fail sometimes, but like even within the business, we come up with different ideas, we do things. I almost lost my business in not getting sober. I honestly think if I had waited three or four more weeks to get sober, we would have shut down. Um, and it took me a while to dig it out from the wreckage of that. You know, you don't make the best financial decisions in those times, but we've been able to pull it out and turn it around to a thriving, successful, business, but it took a lot of work. I don't mean to kind of go around in circles, but I think people should just recognize their dream, get a board out and put some ways that you can actually get towards it. I love that. You're amazing, April. Thank you so much. Thank You're you. Such a, I mean, gosh, what a survivor. Your story is amazing and what you've been through and what you're doing today. I hope you stay on this journey forever. I want you to keep in touch with us because when you are an ambassador, we want to put the link up because so if people want to donate for you, that'd be amazing. Great. I would love to give back to you. I would, I love your cause. It's an amazing thing. Um, I want to end with, you know, we all think that when we're in our addiction, that we're, there's no way out. Mm -hmm and reaching out for help and realizing that there are people out there willing to help just makes life so much, it just gives us this life that's beyond our wildest dreams. And when people used to say that, you know, in our rooms, yeah. be like, oh, you're gonna have this life that's beyond your wildest dreams. And you'd be like, there's no way, I, there's no way. If I put down my best friend that's helped me manage through life this entire time, you're gonna tell me I'm gonna put that down and my life's gonna get better. I don't believe you, but it's true.
It's true. And you're an example. Look at you going for everything. It's amazing. I wish you all the best of luck. You have to keep in touch with us. Let us know when you're done, when you're an ambassador. Please come back, will you? All right, I will. I, I loved meeting you. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And I'll put the link for your podcast up on my website too. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. And until next time, everybody, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.